mention, mention So strap on in because we're talking about the mention I'm Sam Wilson. I'm Zach Schneider. And I'm Liz Tory. Nerd Shit is the podcast where we talk about all your favorite nerdy movies and series. And do deep dive, spoiler heavy discussions on them. We're going to talk about all the things that make them work. And all the things that make them suck. We're also going to handle disagreements in a respectful, non-toxic way. All the while taking everything with a healthy dose of humor. After all, it's just entertainment. Everything doesn't have to be so serious. I saw the writer strikes over. Maybe by the time this comes out, the SAG strike will be over. I don't know. Maybe this will be old school already. Uh, old news, I mean, not old school. What's old school? <laughs> <laughs> so, are you guys? Are you guys? Are you guys feeling old school today? A uh, little old school, though. In- increasingly of the opinion, just because of the sheer amount of people I've uh, spoken to who are uh, confounded by technology in their cars. And I myself am driving a car that is uh, practically no connected tech at all. I'm feeling very old school lately. I'm like, ha. yeah. How's that Model T Ford going for you, Zach? It's great. You know, I just gotta, I just gotta remember to wind it up uh, beforehand when I when I wanted to get it to run. Um, also, need to dump plenty of coal in there. It actually predates uh, gas. You know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta put put coal in it. I didn't wait till you get that Flintstones car that has a hole in the bottom. <laughs> you just have to like walk with it. It's like, wait, what's the Stop point it of this? Is a bitch. <laughs> But are are you still driving the Chevy Volt, Liz? Is that what you're driving nowadays? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like my smart car. When the car is smarter than you, mm-hmm. life is good. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the smart car was like. See, that's why I always thought that smart. I thought a smart car would be like Knight Rider. But I, or actually, was Knight Rider the guy or was he the car? I always forget. Like, I think he was the one that rode at night, making him the Knight Rider, and Kit was the oh, car. Oh, Kit was the car. See, I always yeah. think right, the car is right, Knight Rider, right. and I was, you know, I think they did a reboot of that, where, but I think that Knight Rider was the name of the car in the reboot, but I think that only lasted oh, like funny. a couple episodes before it got mm-hmm. canceled because it sucked. But anyway, but I was right. I only know that because of <laughs> what's that movie with Ken Jeong in it where he's supposed to kill David Hasselhoff? Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's a comedy and he and his friends have a bet on which celebrities will die first and Ken Jeong needs the money so he decides that he's going to kill David Hasselhoff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I I learned everything I know about Knight Rider from that movie. I feel like David Hasselhoff has cameoed as himself more than he's played different characters. Like, yes, he has like two characters. Yeah. He has like the Baywatch guy and the Knight Rider guy. And that's like basically his only two characters. Like, otherwise, he just cameos as himself in everything. <laughs> he used to tour in Europe singing, so that's where he got most of his moolah from. Is he a good singer or is he like a William Shatner? Like, actually, he has a pretty good voice. William Shatner, he, you know, he does the Shakespeare thing whenever he sings. But David Hasselhoff, he actually has a pretty nice operatic voice. He does. Uh, there's a. I will say it's not because of his singing. His singing is actually fine, but there is a hilarious music video of his that's a cover of um, Hooked on a Feeling. Oh, that's right. He does do a version of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Which, that's right. again, his singing is actually fine. It's just the music video is bizarre as hell. He's a ham. <laughs> is, is his version... I get it. I'm a ham. Is his version of the song the one that's in Guardians of the Galaxy, or is it the original? Like, I was kind of thinking for some reason it might have been Truth his. Truth be but... told, they don't sound too different. I'm... Yeah. That's one of the reasons that it throws me so off so much is I'm actually not sure. It sounds very similar. Well, speaking of pop culture, there's a lot of pop culture discussed in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which is a movie. It's the latest TMNT movie. It's animated. It came out this year. Oh, yeah. I, I also I have to do a retraction for something that I said last week. OK, it's it's mm-hmm. not often I have to do a retraction, not because I don't get anything wrong, but because I never notice or acknowledge when I get things wrong. But I do <laughs> think that I said that this movie was streaming on the peacock or the cock, as I like to call it. It is actually streaming on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. I have both of those streaming services. I do tend to get them mixed up in terms of which one's on which, because they're kind of both that 
similar sort of like yeah you know those extra streaming services that people kind of have them but they're not right. like the yeah. main go-to ones you know but they're not also not as expensive as like the netflix or the max or whatever but you know in any case, the Paramount movie, I, I saw this in the theaters and then I rewatched it on Paramount for this review. So this is going to be a full spoiler discussion of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. So if you've not seen this movie, you have been warned. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, with this intro, what do you guys think of this intro that deals with Baxter Stockman? It deals with Maya Rudolph's character trying to go after him. And like we see the birth of Superfly and all the other mutants. What do we think of this first five minutes of the movie or so? It does a good job job of kind of setting us up for the rest of the tone of it where the good guy who we're supposed to feel a little bit of sympathy for is a sweaty balding man who's in his basement and has no fashion sense whatsoever (laughs) and uh, most of the bad guys are these uh, big gun-ho military types who absolutely fail at their one job of like not killing a man and you know preserving all of his experiments and they blow up everything I also love that it's a good introduction to the visual style of this movie because this movie has a really bizarre visual style that I love immensely. It just fits the character so well. Um, and this intro does a really good job of showing that off. I love the beginning. I, they pull you in right from the beginning and they use every fucking character that you love in this movie. And they start off with Baxter Stockman, you know, and in the TMNT world, Baxter Stockman is one of the nearer to regular characters other than April O'Neil, let's be honest, mm-hmm. you know. And I love what they did with him. I love that uh, Giancarlo Espinzita voice. You notice it right off the bat. He draws you in. You see that he's a little more compassionate than they usually show Baxter Stockman. Yeah, you certainly said a name that sounds sort of kind of like Giancarlo Esposito, but that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. God damn it. Got a, got a whole Adele disease situation here. Yes. <laughs> no, you actually did butcher it as badly as Adele disease. Yes. <laughs> Adele Zim. Yes. <laughs> My good friend. Uh, but no, I, I think they do a really good job at pulling us into the movie and letting us know exactly what it's going to be. You know, it's really well done. Good hook. Yeah, the visual Ooh. style of the movie, as you were mentioning, Zach, like, I, I do think that this intro does a good job of introducing that. And the visual style is very unique, but the closest thing that it reminds me of would be something like the Spider-Verse animated movies. I think the visuals of this definitely remind me a lot of Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse for me personally. But it's, it's also its own thing and it has its own aesthetic at the same time. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to be a little bit of the asshole when it comes to the intro. I actually don't like the intro of this movie, and I, I think right. that I'm not sure exactly. It's a combination of, of a few different things. Like, look, I, I know that this is probably a stupid thing to complain about when it comes to a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, especially like a wacky, goofy, animated Ninja Turtles movie. But all of the characters in this intro are so broad. Like, they're so obnoxiously broad to me. Hmm. Like, you immediately start, you get this leader of this task force who's like, he's immediately scowling and he's talking in this gritty voice. It's like, oh, you know, we're, going, we're the hoorah, the big, big, bad, badass soldier guys. And like, you have Maya Rudolph who's doing this weird, you know, Dexter's Laboratory German mad scientist thing going on. <laughs> and then, I fucking love her. And then, like, <laughs> the, uh, you know, Carlo Zito, which I, I keep forgetting who this is as 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 like for some reason I keep thinking why I watched the movie that's Jeffrey Wright and then I look it up and it's it's, it's Arrow, so I keep forgetting who it actually is doing the voice. But yeah, Baxter Stockman, who is the closest thing to feeling like an actual character in this intro. But right. even he, like, my problem is, is that he's he's picking up Superfly and he's like, oh, Superfly, let me tell you, i.e. the audience, everything that you need to know about my life and about what's going <laughs> on so far. And it's very awkwardly written where it's so just obviously ham, ham-fisted exposition of I am exactly telling the audience exactly you know where i'm coming from as a character and exactly what's going on it's like it's that kind of tell and telling more so than showing it's it's like you know 
I am telling you that I'm a lonely person who never had a family. It's it's like it's and I, I get the fact that Baxter Stockman is only in this one scene, so he don't really have a lot of time to experience the character. But it's like instead of like actually showing who this character is, the character is literally just directly addressing the audience and just telling him this is what my deal is. And just the right. I, I know it's a fast intro. They're just trying to get to the turtles and the movie starts to get good when you get to the turtles. I just find this intro to be very awkwardly written for myself personally. I'm not actually going to disagree on any of that. It kind of is. Um, for me, the fact that it does a good job at setting us up the tone um, and, you know, effectively telling us kind of where the movie is going to go. It works for me more than it doesn't. But also, I don't think you're actually wrong on any of those points. I feel like it's a comic book movie and it starts off like a comic book. It pulls you right in. It tells you where you're going to go. It tells you how this side is going to feel. And it sets up that mirror that you that you see later with Splinter. So uh, it might be a weaker beginning for people, but I think overall it makes it a stronger movie. And I automatically get that comic book feel to it. Yeah, I, I get the two. And like, I, I'm not even really sure that I have much of a solution to it because like, I think the way to make it stronger from a writing standpoint would be to spend more time on this but i actually think spending more time on this would disrupt the overall pacing of the movie so i i yeah. it's very possible that even as i complain about it it might honestly be the best version of the scene as really could have been made yeah i do kind of wish that one task force leader was a little bit less of a caricature but at the same time it's an animated movie like the character types are going to be broad you know in, yeah. in this kind of genre too and i get that i totally get that I think the one thing that might have been able to help with the points you mentioned is rely a little bit more on kind of environmental storytelling. Like, he has a crib for Superfly and, you know, all this setup. Instead of him going into exposition about how he wanted a family, just kind of rely on that to explain that particular part. Like, have him comforting Superfly and trying to hush him like an actual baby while showing his lab growing the others instead of him having to exposit that and just kind of trusting the audience to get where he's coming from there. Yeah, I can see that. That, I feel like, is probably one of the only ways to fix it while also not spending too much time on it because you are right it is important that the scene is also over pretty quick so you just get into the movie so could baxter stockman have been a protagonist in this movie instead of the antagonist that we usually know him to be i find that interesting and i they kind of they kind of took what we had and twisted it just a little bit and to be honest, we it's not like we may not ever see Baxter Stockman again because this is the the turtles world. You know, anything can happen. He could have faked his death, something could have happened, but it'll be interesting to see where where it goes. But I I thought that it was a I thought that it was a good start. I think his death feels vague enough cuz I always kind of almost miss is like wait did he die like I think it's vague enough that I definitely think in my opinion I think that they're leaving the door open for him mm -hmm. to come back in a sequel especially mm -hmm. since with Shredder it, yeah. it, it it almost feels like a waste to cast Giancarlo Esposito in su in such yeah. a role if if you're just going to kill him off in the first scene of the first movie I I kind of have a feeling they they're going to bring him back agree. and in a at least a couple of other adaptations, one of the big things about uh, Baxter Stockman is that he keeps coming back, uh, often yes. in drastically reduced form. At one point, he was literally just a head, but he does oh, keep yeah. coming back. I really did like the character of Cynthia Utram. Uh, Maya Rudolph, I, I felt like that was some of her best voiceover acting ever. I really enjoyed that character. I know I know you don't really like those caricatures like that, Sam, but I think she was acting her ass off. She worked better for me as the movie went on. Like, I think the problem with... Uh, I think the other problem I have with the intro is every single character is such an over-the-top caricature, and you don't really get... I need the straight man character to, like, balance yeah. all of this. And I, I think that, you know, because, like, the three characters that we're focusing on are her... The you know the main guy from the task force because the other the other guys are all non speaking roles yeah right and then Baxter who were all very over the top characters and I was just missing some energy from like more of a straight man character but when when Cynthia's in the movie later on and you have you know the turtles are goofy but they feel still more grounded 
And you have April, who feels like a more grounded character. Like, I feel like when you had those characters to balance her, I feel like she works a yeah. little better for me. Right, and yeah. so I, I feel like, you know, I, I know that they're they're going to probably bring her back as kind of a, a an overarching villain for the series. And I'm not necessarily going to have a problem with that going forward. And like, and I, I, I like my my Rudolph in the role, too. I think she 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 works well for what the movie is going for with the character, I yeah. would say. Yeah, I honestly thought and had to look it up. I had no idea it was Maya Rudolph. I thought it was Rachel House, the lady from. From Thor Ragnarok, booze hag, the the New Zealander lady. Oh uh, yeah, she's always in Taika Waititi movies. Yeah. Oh, I honestly right, yeah. thought that was her, and then I looked it up and I was like, "Holy shit, it's Maya Rudolph!" Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't recognize her immediately. I I didn't recognize a lot of the actors in this movie, to be honest. Like the the only ones that I recognized was um I I recognize uh, Ayo Edebiri as April O'Neil because I've been watching The Bear and like yeah, I love her. An actress, but she very much has a shake of kind of characters that she plays, and I think this version of April kind of falls into that. Um, I recognize Jackie Chan, of course, uh, Actually, and I recognized yeah. um, uh, Seth Rogen, even even though he was a smaller role. Like those were the ones, but I didn't recognize Paul Rudd at all as uh, oh, as, yeah. as Mondo Gecko. I didn't recognize uh, John Cena. I guess was uh, Rocksteady. I think was Rocksteady, uh, yeah. I saw John Cena in the credits. I actually thought he might have been the that meathead guy from the beginning but no he was rocksteady and seth rogan was bebop but those were the actors who i i recognize even jackie chan i wasn't sure at first but then like a, a little ways into the movie it's like oh that's jackie chan you know oh, yeah. but oh my god there's, there's what a, a scene perfect... later on that totally cemented it but uh we'll we'll get to that but well, well let's kind of get into the four turtles like it's interesting with this movie because i feel like this movie weirdly does I don't know. It, it does a better job than previous movie versions of individualizing the four turtles because I do tend to have a problem in TMNT movies of the four turtles all feeling the same. Especially the worst offender was actually the the '90s live action version. Yeah, right. those are fun enough movies for what they are, but the four turtles feel exactly the same. Like they there's just like no difference. They kind of corrected that in the sequel. The original Ninja Turtles, uh, those were done by. by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and they corrected into the second one because they made Raphael taller and they made him a little more brute-like. Yeah. And they changed the colors up a little bit in the in the sequel. But in the original, you're absolutely right. They You can't tell them apart. And I love that this movie pushes it even further further yeah mm -hmm. they're they're like we're gonna make them individual we're gonna make them look a little different so that when we take the masks off at the end when they don't have to wear the masks you're gonna be able to tell who they are without looking at what color they're wearing exactly because that's the problem mm -hmm. is previous versions i can only tell them apart by the mask color that's like that's yeah. that's literally it and you're completely right in this version when they're not wearing the masks you completely know which one is which still yeah hell even when they're still just the lumpy babies Side yeah, note, I you can tell who's who. I deeply love how weird and lumpy the baby versions of the turtles are. Just they're these they're weird, so adorable cute. little boulders, and they're fantastic. Uh, I, I love those <laughs> designs so much. Uh, but no, I, I, I like how indiv individualized um, they were in this movie. Um, I think the only version I've seen was not a movie, but um, one of the shows, uh, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Turtles, was I think the only other one that, in my opinion, did a good job of individualizing the designs um, that strongly. I do like how they were made much more distinct, um, and yet also still... I think this is probably the version that nailed the teenager aspect of the characters the best, because all the others kind of feel like, you know, maybe 19, but, you know, more like early 20-something kids, and these ones feel like they're like 13 or so. Well, that's because the actors were actual teenagers, you know, young teenagers, and I think that also made a difference in the acting. I mean, these kids could act. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they did in the, I don't know what they did in the room. I don't know if they had read-throughs, rehearsals, 
Whatever they did, these kids went in there and kicked ass. There was improv from what I understand. Like, they had the four of them in the booth together, and they, there were some scenes where they just had them go and just, just play mm-hmm. off of each other. And, and that, I think, really came through in the movie. Fantastic. I agree. And yeah, that's one of the th- those things. It's like, you know, a lot of these, these uh, animated movies, you, it's just like single actors in a booth by themselves. And that can work to a degree. But, like, I think that for what they were going for with the dynamic, of this this movie it was important that they all be together so that they could play for each other and they do have chemistry with each other and I think what I was originally going to say is that they are individual, but it, they also feel, they feel more like a unit than they feel like individual yes. characters in terms of mm-hmm. the storytelling, which weirdly actually isn't a problem. Like, here's what it is. It's not like one of those things where you even get something like Avengers, where you, we have all these characters who each one of them is a protagonist of their own story. Like, the four turtles in this, they don't have their own storyline. In fact, like, they're not even all protagonists in, like, this is an ensemble movie in which every one of them is a protagonist. The four of them collectively as a unit are the singular protagonists of the movie. Yeah. And yet it completely works and they still feel individual. And they actually manage to walk that line in a way that surprisingly works, you know, again, because they don't each have their own storyline, really. Like they, they all collectively have the story of the four of them as a unit, but it completely works. I love the scene with April O'Neil where she wants to hear their story and every single one of them is talking at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes that puts the picture of you talking, saying they're individual, but they're also one unit. That makes me think about that scene because they were all just trying to talk at the same time, telling the same story. It's just like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> the other scene I keep coming back to for that expression is the one right after they have that um, fight montage where they were taking out the you know various middlemen of the crime organization yeah. and. Immediately afterwards, they're just launching into this weird uh, impression uh, rant, (laughs) you know, just building off of each other. And each one is doing something completely unrelated, and yet it's all part of the same nonsense. And it's it's just super fun to watch them together. I also like that, you know, Raphael and Leonardo always have this thing where they butt heads and it always gets really nasty in the movies i like the way they handle it in this one they bump heads but it's more of a brotherly squabble instead of a a more aggressive more dramatic thing and i think that makes a better overarching story well i also just feel that there was enough already going on in the story of this movie that they didn't really need to rely on conflict within the turtles team themselves because i think that that is an obvious way that like like a lot of adaptations of TMNT tend to go is again, like a lot of it is tends to be putting uh, Leo and Raphael against each other. Like that happens yes. a lot in, in comics and in TV and in movies. In this one, they didn't really have to do that. I, I agree with you. It always just felt like the, these these brotherly squabbles where, you know, they might have a little argument for like a minute and then they're, they're you know, they're blowing it out in the next scene or whatever. Like the, the movie, the movie doesn't rely on internal conflict because, again, yeah. there's there's a, there's plenty going on outside of that that they don't have to. Absolutely, yeah. Can I also say one thing? Am I the only human being that thinks Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a big pile of steaming shit. I've never actually finished Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, I just found most of the characters in it really off-putting and uh, was never able to attach to them long enough to get into the movie. Everybody I talked to, they just love that movie. And I was just thinking about with them saying, maybe they'll love us as much as they love Ferris. Hey, listen, regardless of you guys' <laughs> objectively incorrect opinions of that movie, the masterpiece Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is one of the best teen comedies of all time. The fact of the matter is, regardless of what you might think as audience members, internally within that movie, everybody loves Ferris Bueller. That is the fact. If you watch that movie, that is just the fact that the other characters in that movie all love Ferris. Okay. I mean, obviously right. not Obviously not the principal, but yeah. he's the, he's, that's why he's the villain. You know? <laughs> 
Well, I, I actually was going to mention the fact that I think it's funny that we've we've done like a couple movies within uh, within a handful of weeks that both uh, feature um, or direct references to Ferris Bueller because yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming also features footage from Ferris Bueller used for comedic effect. And in this movie, mm-hmm. they were watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I think it's it's funny, the, the meta-ness of the fact that we are, you know, live people that are watching a cartoon movie, but within the cartoon world, the media that they watch is live action. It's mm-hmm. like, yes. oh, there's something about that that's just funny to me. I do love especially the series of clips when Master Splinter is explaining the secrets of ninjutsu that he learned from in order to teach the turtles, and it's all yes! uh, martial arts movies and uh, mole, mole ninja, um, like VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was fucking genius. Seth Rogen's fingerprints are all over this movie, and... I just can't love him more, and when I think I can't love him more, then something else pops up. I know he's credited as one of the writers, and he's one of the executive producers, but you can tell that a lot of stuff comes from his head. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like I, he he was very instrumental to to just this movie being getting made. You know, he didn't direct it, but again, he was a writer and producer on it. I think that he, I think he's largely what what got this movie made, and was a big yeah. uh, cre- mm. uh, driving creative force behind it for sure. And and I'd like to say it is the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. All right, going into overall today. thoughts. No, get right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel comfortable going ahead and saying that already. Uh, it's that's just something sort of a given. Is that if we do ever review the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, uh, I'm not saying my score yet. We do have the rest of an episode to get through, but it is going to be higher than the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. That's that's for certain. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. Like TMNT is one of those franchises that I never really got into that heavily. And it's probably because I've only ever really experienced it from the previous movie versions. I've never watched any of the shows. I've never read the comics. So like, I get that it's something that a lot of people like, but I just have never, I never really gotten it before this movie, which I do agree is by far the best of the movies. Like I've, I've never really liked any of the movie versions that have come out before, to be honest. Like, I know a lot of people really like the live action one from once from the 90s, but I never saw the second one, but I never I never liked the first one, to be honest. And I, I never liked the Michael Bay one. The only one that I actually thought was kind of okay is the one that nobody talks about or remembers. But the 2007 animated one, I think it was just called TMNT. That mm-hmm. movie I actually sort of like. I, I gotta admit, like, I, I know that it wasn't, like, the most popular movie when it came out, but, like, I remember seeing that and being like, this this is cool. Like, I kind of get this, you know? Yeah. Like, and I, I also just think fundamentally, and it, it, I think it's telling that that one and this one are the two that I like, because I just think that people need to stop trying to make live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, because I just don't think it works in live-action. At least for me, I just, I, I there's a, just the anthropomorphic turtles as, as main characters it's like look they're already cartoon characters so just make it a cartoon world i'm gonna push back on that because the first michael bay ninja turtles movie was shit completely but that second michael bay uh out of the shadows he really really did a great job at creating a living comic book the bebop and rocksteady made that movie i i really do feel like it was a it's a lot of fun to watch and i get so inspired after watching that movie every time i still love the 90s movies but that's what i grew up with and to be honest we've seen the shredder hashed out so many times and the origin of the turtles so many times i think that this movie really does a phenomenal job at rehashing out things that we have already seen happen, but putting enough twist on it and updating it to where it feels like a brand new story. We know the Legos that are going to go together to piece, you know, we know the turtles came from ooze. But I love that in this movie, they hash it out in a way to where they handle a lot of arguments that fans have had, because the fans are like, are they humans? And then they become, are, or are they animals? And then they, and this movie makes a lot of a lot of detail on that like the master splinter um the splinter story i i don't like calling him master splinter in this 
in this movie because he's more of a dad. He's more of a dad in this version than in any of the other versions. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, because he is more of a sensei. Who, like, he is always their their parental figure in the sense that he does raise yeah. them, but he does feel more like a sensei in other versions. And in this one, he's just a dad. I would actually yeah. agree yeah, with that. Is, yeah, he is just a dad. And I love that he drives it home where he's like, okay, so I became an older rat because I was older and you became baby turtles. Because, you know, you were babies, and that just makes sense if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually did appreciate that because I, I it, like, it's not something that ever occurred to me, but, like, when that lie happened, it's like, you know what, I bet that that's something that fans have probably, like, debated about. Yeah. yeah, it's like, wait, yep. why, if they all became mutants at the same time, why is Splinter old and the turtles are teenagers, you know? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little baby. He's... The U was all little baby turtles, and it kind of makes sense. In general, just that whole... First of all, I do actually really like the slight change that instead of Splinter being... uh, He's had so many origins. You know, alternately a human that got turned into a rat, or the pet rat of a sensei who lived in a thing. He was just a rat, and he only ever became a ninja master because he actively attempted to be to learn, you know, fighting skills in order to protect his family. Actively just sought out sought out. just his entire intro sequence was great, especially the God of thing with his uh, friend Kevin. It's like I had one friend, his name was Kevin, and then I ate him. <laughs> Yes, that's hilarious. And that's the only part of the story the kids get. He doesn't tell them that Kevin got stepped on and killed. We only know that because we're seeing inside his mind. No, you're right. It's like we just take his voiceover of him telling the story that makes it sound so much worse than it actually is. Like, wait, you ate your friend? It's like, oh, no, he was stepped on first. It's like, oh, okay. See, you should have you should have included that detail. It's like that that changes changes the whole context. <laughs> yeah, his his entire his entire story, um, his entire, uh, which I love that it's very clearly exposition, but I do love the lampshade. It's like you know what, just because of that, I'm telling you the long version. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that to me that line made that whole thing work. It's it's like again, I, I think again that that intro they were just trying to go through, and I totally get that because again the turtles right. are what we're here for. But like the the rest of the movie manages to handle that like very on the nose exposition in a way that does work because like this is a lecture that he's giving his kids that they've heard a million times but like yeah to me that that made sense as as a dad that's like yes i'm telling you this story for the millionth time because you need to hear it again and it's just fucking genius that jackie chan is playing splinter because when you think of a martial arts dad figure he's the first one that pops up mm-hmm. yeah. you know he was a father figure for a lot of us in his comedies that he did and a uh, anybody who was who was fans looked up some of his older stuff. You know, he's just an icon, and it just makes sense that he plays Splinter, and he plays him so superbly. Well, yeah, and and he also does bring that comedy to him because, like Jackie Chan, yes. is a martial artist, but he's so well known for for doing these comedies, and like I think bringing this humorous side because Splinter usually isn't a character who's played for laughs. He very much is in this version, and I really appreciate that, and I think that the casting yes. of Jackie Chan really helps that. It really contributes to that as well. It does. I love when he's like, here, I am a waiter. You can go to, it's the restaurant experience. You can have anything you want as long as it's pizza. Yes. <laughs> also, when he has, when he brings out the goddamn cutouts of all the Hollywood Chris's. <laughs> yes, it's so hilarious. This is my friend Chris, and this is Chris Pine, the best Chris of all. <laughs> yes. Oh, that the, the Chris Pine one is him as Captain Kirk too. It's just there's something about the randomness of that that also cracks me up. But <laughs> there, there is an organic, and I, I honestly do give a lot of that to Jackie Chan as Splinter because there is this organic father-son relationship between the five of them and it's just beautiful. Yeah, completely. It, it, they, Absolutely. They, that whole f- family dynamic I think just works so well uh, within this movie and they did a great job of kind of showing the parallels between Splinter and Superfly too that both mm-hmm. of them had yes. these experiences. Yes, the, that uh, parallel. Yeah, that they, they, they're they both trying to, you know, raise their, their mutant, you know, 
like what they kind of think of as their children, I suppose. And they both had negative experiences with humans that both caused them to fear humans. But with Splinter, he had the reaction of, I'm going to hide from humans. And Superfly had the reaction of, I'm going to kill humans. So it, it becomes that kind of opposite. It's, it's reacting in fear versus reacting with hate. Yeah. And I think that Superfly is an interesting villain because he shows Splinter... And Splinter does have have a kind of a cool arc in this story where he shows, like, if I go even just a little bit further down the road, I'm going, this is what I can become. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want that. It scares him. And he doesn't want that for his children. I love that he says outright that he doesn't want to become Superfly, that he wants the humans to love his boys because they want the humans to love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's just gorgeous. I will say, though, after after this movie, you know, when I was growing up, I thought that sinking and, you know, quicksand was going to be a real problem as an adult. But after <laughs> this movie, I think a real problem is going out and getting milked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to happen. You just think that you're going to be fine. But then one day, a human is going to grab you and they are going to milk you. <laughs> exactly. Is someone trying to milk you? Why are you going? straight to the milking <laughs> yeah. we don't even have nipples God. Is, that yes. a, is that a milking machine no 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 i see it. i told you they're gonna milk you yes <laughs> the fact the fact that that actually somehow turned out to be true i think is is what's the, 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 the most hilarious part of that Mil- yes milking 3000 or whatever that machine yeah. was called yeah. stupid <laughs> Stupid! It's it's dumb, <laughs> but it is also weirdly hilarious. That I love that that goddamn thing just kept coming back. <laughs> I mean, stupid in the good in the good. Oh sense, yeah, absolutely. Yes. The, <laughs> while we're on that, I and while we're on Splinter as well, I do want to say that I really love how his fight scene in saving the boys is such a classic Jackie Chan's fight scene. Yes, like he stumbles in, showing that he you know is uncertain. He immediately makes it clear he does not want any trouble. He's just here to get his boys. And the entire time he's using his environment around him while also showcasing really fantastic martial arts. So, like, this is such a goddamn classic Jackie Chan fight scene. You can see Jackie Chan (laughs) doing everything in that scene. Absolutely. Yeah, that actually didn't occur to me. Yeah, but now now that you say that, that completely is true. You know, and and, and I I think we we kind of started to touch on Superfly. Is Superfly an original character for this movie? Because I I don't, I'm not, it's not something that I was familiar with if he is in the comics. Yeah, Superfly is is an original character. Yeah. I like that they didn't go the usual Shredder route. Like, I know that they're setting Shredder up for a sequel, but I, I like that, you know, it made sense for this movie, too, that, like, we're focusing on the mutant aspect of it for the storyline of this movie so instead of saying like oh we're fighting the foot clan or we're fighting shredder or whatever it's like no like this is a story that's all about the mutants it's all about Mm. even though it's not an origin story for the turtles it kind of is because it ties in with their origin I thought he was a really strong villain, again, because of the way that he mirrored Splinter, and he and Splinter were two sides of that same coin. And I also thought Ice Cube actually did a really good job voicing this character. He did, Yes. Ice fucking Cube, yes! Yeah, he had a good mixture of just the casual, you know, joviality and also extremely threatening when he needed to be. It's like, God, y'all are not as cool as I thought you were. <laughs> exactly. I love that he was a Jason Voorhees that just wanted to chop up people. To be honest, he remembers he remembers his dad being attacked and them coming in. And so he remembers that. And then when he tried to go out with his brood, he had the same reaction that Splinter and the Turtles had from the people in New York. You know, the screaming and the stupidity. We're monkeys. That's what we do. We jump up and down, scream and shit ourselves and then throw that shit. So that's what we do naturally when we see something threatening, when we see something we don't know and we assume that it's threatening. Superfly is basically the fly version of Baxter Stockman because they decided to go the route of only animals are mutants. So Baxter Stockman couldn't become that fly, but his child was that mutant. And I thought that was a genius step to take, creating this original path for us. 
But I wonder if Superfly would have just wanted to kill humans anyway, because he didn't look hard for a solution. You know, I love that he preached acceptance, and then it was like, we're going to have acceptance. We're going to create all these kaiju and these mutants, and people are going to go, shank! <laughs> we'll, we'll have some people shows, like we'll dog some, we'll shows. some redhead shows. <laughs> I have some pets. I'm open to ideas, which I find it interesting that he's actually not terribly open to ideas. That's uh, I love no, the yeah. huge difference in dynamic between him and his family and Splinter and his family, where it seems on the surface that it's strict, but Splinter is always trying to reach out to the rest of his family. And even if he doesn't get their ideas, even if he is trying to do it in a safe way, he's still actively trying to appeal to them and what they want um and superfly is constantly shooting down uh his groups practically yeah. everything they do yeah no that's a really good point it, it goes to that thing of like you know the other mutants are all, all collectively like they're going with superfly and his plan because that's all they know and that's that's the only option that they think they have in order to be safe and when they're presented with another option they're when when they're presented with a peaceful option they're ready to take it and he refuses yes. it outright like i think peace was never an option for superfly he's just so mm. broken and so angry that like the only option he can see is is just killing everybody just killing all the humans and i think superfly is one of those characters who even if he got everything he wanted i don't think he would ever really be satisfied with it i no. think he's just i think he's just angry and broken He's a great villain because he's he's kind of a sad character in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did touch on the mutants. So, I mean, listen, there's a lot of them. I borderline sometimes think there's too many of them, if I'm being completely honest, but they are all really entertaining. And I, and I get the fact that it is similar to the turtles. So I say the turtles are all kind of collectively the protagonists of the movie. I feel like the rest of the mutants are all kind of collectively sort of a character within the movie. But right. we have these different faces and these colorful personalities where as the this becomes a franchise maybe we we see them individually shine a little bit more but they were all really entertaining and and all, all of them in different ways i think provide comic relief to the film as well they do uh, i did straight up forget uh on both watch throughs of this that genghis frog was a character i will say i do totally agree with you i think there are a little too many and definitely at least one too many in that he could have been cut entirely and i would not have noticed in fact again i barely noticed he was there at this time like, collectively, I do like them all. They are this extremely eclectic, strange bunch, especially, uh, I keep forgetting her name, uh, Scudder, I want to say Scudderbug, the insane babbling cockroach who ends up with <laughs> Splinter in the end. Yeah, so they work They work really effectively. And as you said, they're kind of collectively, in terms of the plot, essentially one character. But they're still distinct enough that they're all really fun um, to get to know. So when I first saw this trailer, I thought this is going to be awesome, but I think they have too many mutants in there. But what they did is they went through and they took a lot of the, the comic book mutants and they gave them a place in a movie. And instead of it being one or two mutants that they had to go against... It was a whole fury, and they also twisted it in the sense that these mutants wanted peace. That's all they wanted. They didn't want to fight. They didn't want to hurt anybody. They just wanted to live in peace. And I love that they did that. They created a mutant community, you know, with a lot of, a lot of characters that from when I was a kid, I thought that they were fucking awesome. Uh, my favorite too was, uh, Wingnut and Leatherhead. And Rose Byrne as Leatherhead really surprised me because Leatherhead has always had this very New Orleans style accent and very rednecky. And I thought she did really good at bringing this character to life. True enough, with this many characters, they didn't have a lot of screen time. But they were so amped when they were on screen and when they worked together, you know, it was like watching Avengers Endgame where all of the heroes had to work together for one goal. And it was like seeing all of these mutants come together and fight with the turtles. It was really, really cool. And I thought that it was really well done. They didn't spend too much time with characters. They could have spent a little more time with some of the characters, but it was a lot of fucking characters. And it doesn't have me saying there were too many characters because... 
I got a, I got a good taste of them all. I, I like that they made Genghis Frog hop across the water. <laughs> you know, in just imagery, you saw a lot of their superpowers. They didn't use words. It was just clips here and there, and you get to see them in action. So I'd like to see them expand and, and kind of look at these characters. But at the same time, they wild me because I didn't think that I was going to like it because of how many uh, mutants there were in it. But it was so well done. It's one of those cases where I feel like even though each one individually had very little screen time, they did a good job of showing it's like, okay, a lot of thought did go into each of these individual characters. It's just a lot of that went into the design and then eventually the performance. And the audience only sees what they need to see, but you still get the impression that a lot of thought still went into them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do love in the credits at the end of the movie how they say, and introducing Paul Rudd as Mondo Gecko, <laughs> as if that's his first movie. It's like, but again, I, I always like this happened both times I watched the movie that like I, I completely didn't realize it was Paul Rudd. Like even the second time I could fart, forgot it was Paul, even the entire time he was on the screen and then it happens at the end. It's like, oh fuck, I forgot again that that was Paul Rudd. Like <laughs> maybe I'll remember it the third time I watch it. I don't know. That whole, are you good to, are you good to drive? <laughs> and then Mondo was like, nah. <laughs> and then he's driving. <laughs> yes, I love that too. <laughs> but you know, speaking to the fact that they really leaned into the four turtles being teenagers, I really like the, the twist that they had April O'Neil also as a teenager because usually yes. she's older in most versions. But I actually like the fact that like they really... It, and this is again, whether even though you guys hate it, I think that it was it, it, it was fitting that they showed uh, scenes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. With Ferris Bueller's Day Off being like this, you know, this landmark teenage comedy. That this is like uh, also a John Hughes movie. That this a lot of the stuff in this movie is very much that kind of John Hughesy kind of flavor of like this is a superhero movie. It is a TMNT movie, but it's also a teen comedy at the same time. In the same way that Spider Man Homecoming is, and you know. Again, whether you guys like the movie or not, Ferris Bueller is kind of the iconic teen comedy from the 80s. So it's it's like, yeah. Uh, so I, I like the fact that that aspect of, of it was was uh, emphasized in this. And I think that having April O'Neil also being a high school student, I think actually really served the story that was being told in this really well. I love what they did with Puke Girl. I thought that she was <laughs> well executed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also deeply love the kind of fake out for a second where they show it, they show she's pukes, they just like, oh, okay, so they just gonna like uh say she puked off screen but and then they go into slow motion detail of it it's like oh okay all right (laughs) (laughs) get it in full hd glory of the (laughs) yeah for a second for a second i didn't like the fact that they showed it because it's like oh i always think it's funnier if you don't show it and it's like i don't really like the gross humor but then when they started doing the remixes of it that's i think that actually made made the whole gag worth it yeah remixed and memed and everything yeah they turned it into a meme so exactly (laughs) that's what made that whole thing really work work for me so yeah no i I really liked her character in this um i liked i like that she had her own definite reason to be following all this that she was already involved in the plot without the turtles but they just came together again that first interview scene with them where she's like oh do you think people accept us no absolutely not no yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love the back and forth on that of are people going to accept the turtles? Because there's definitely a version of this where they could have like doubled down on the thing of humans are never going to accept the turtles, but that's okay because they have to be heroes because just help people for the sake of helping people, basically, and not expect rewards from it. Like, I like that that was the ultimate. That was the ultimate takeaway as characters that the Turtles took from it is like, look, we can't do good deeds with the expectations of what are what is our reward going to be? We do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that that is a good message. But 
I also really like the twist that they actually are accepted at the end. Because, like, I feel like there's a kind of a, a status quo that gets stuck with a lot with TMNT of, like, okay, the turtles are always going to be living in secret on the fringes of society in the sewers. You know, it's like the, the, the city can be somewhat aware of them, but they're never going to be integrated into, into society. And I like this movie's flip on that, which is, what if they do get to just go to a human high school? What if they do j- just get to, yes. like... It, and that felt like such a fresh take on it. It's like, I don't know if that's ever been done before um, mm-hmm. in, in any other version of this. Like, may- maybe it has been done in comics or in the shows or whatever. But to my knowledge, uh, the turtle media that I've uh, absorbed so far, I've never seen that done. And I thought that that was actually a really cool way to end the movie. I, I really did. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's also, there's something very odd to me about that status quo of because you're a monster, you have to live in the sewers. Humanity is never going to accept you. It's some view that as a realist take. I also think it's often an excuse to... In a movie where a bunch of turtles get to turn into giant mutants and you have a man whose legs are made of horses at one point, we're allowed to expand our fantasy to also say, and maybe humanity can get a little better and be a little more accepting with time, too. And I also think it's like, what kind of messaging does that that send? Because like, if, if, if people are viewing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as as a parallel for the the people who are kind of othered in society. It's this thing of like, is, is it really a good message, especially, you know, to, to kids and teenagers who are watching this of, and you will never be accepted ever. You mm-hmm. will always have to live on, on the fringes of society. It's like, no, it's like, everybody has their people. Everybody has can find their people, can find their tribe. And I, listen, I'm sure the, the the sequels to this movie, and I, I'm almost certain that there will be sequels because this actually right. did really well, but I'm sure that sequels will get into, they probably will uh, end up encountering some kind of bullying or some kind of ostracization uh, for, for being in school. But at the same time, they're, they also are going to find their people and they are going to find their tribe. And I think that, you know, th- them being accepted is, is, I think, important in that. I'm wondering if they do end up bringing um, Casey Jones uh, into the second one and, and have him also be a teenager because... And don't hate me for saying this, but I do think it would be an opportunity if they decided to go the route of having a love triangle with uh, Leo and um, April and Casey Jones, because I think that it could actually be interesting in this context to have Leo be insecure with Casey Jones of, well, she's going to go for him because he's like, he's like a real human guy and I'm a weird greed Shrek turtle creature, you know, it's like, (laughs) and because I think that there's something, again, I know you guys hate love triangles but i think that there's potential for actually some, something interesting like, like a good like realistic kind of teenage storyline with that if they decide yeah, to yeah. go that route as long as it wasn't annoying and took up too much screen time right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and uh, hey maybe it'll end in a polyamorous relationship you yeah. never know <laughs> That's all I'm asking for. If you're going to make a love triangle, go all the fucking way and make a polyamorous You'll relationship. Just end it with this like, oh, no, Leo, I do like you, even though you're a you know, weird uh, mutant tortoise. Hey, and I also like you, even though you're a weird mutant tortoise. Oh, okay. That works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Bam! Something tells me they're not going to do that, but... Probably not. But. So, I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but uh, Cynthia Utram, Utram is the species that Krang is, is the alien species that Krang is. It did have that in the back of my mind the whole time. Is like, is the reason she's so bizarre because she's German or because she's an alien? She's weird and her hair, her hair does kind of look like that brain curl. I could be reaching, but I know that Utram is the type of, is the species of of alien that Krang is. They're called Utrams. Who's Krang? Is that is that a Ninja Turtles villain? He's the main Ninja Turtle uh, villain. He's the brain. Yeah, he's a weird little brain alien in the movie Out of the Shadows and in the old, uh, like, 60s uh, mutant show. He was a weird little brain who, for some reason, was piloting a... Robot. Yeah, piloting a robot that was all very weirdly shaped, like, kind of man-shaped, but also not exactly, and he was right in the belly of it for some reason. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah, I, I don't I don't know this character at all. The only, the only Ninja Turtles villain I'm familiar with is Shredder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just everything with the, the Foot Clan, all that, because mm-hmm. I know yeah. That that's that's all like uh, I'm definitely kind of a muggle when it comes to TMNT because 
don't know. I don't, I don't know that character at all. But yeah. I don't know if she's going to be a, a if she's going to be an alien. I don't know if she is. They could have just named her that for comic book fans. Yeah, who knows? Might be the case. I just found it interesting. What did you guys think of the climax where Superfly becomes a big kind of kaiju chimera creature, and you know they have to like they have to go and do the Godzilla battle at the end? As a monster lover, I absolutely loved it, but I do have one question. They made such a big deal to point out that the machine fell in the ocean, Mm -hmm. where there's lots of animals in the ocean, and then Superfly emerges, and, you know, he's got whale, he's got all these sea creatures on him, but he has horses on him. Now, how did they get horses? That comes later. When he comes out of the ocean, he's just a whale. Or more or less just a whale, but with what some sea creatures on him. He's got the lobster claw. But then he emerges, unfortunately, right next to a zoo and lands on it and merges with a bunch of the creatures in the zoo. Ah. And I don't know why there are a bunch of horses in the zoo. I think I missed that the first time I watched the movie, too, Liz, because the zoo thing happens really quickly. And I don't know if I really noticed it. Uh, I noticed it the second time I watched the movie. Yeah. Now I have another experience excuse to watch it again yeah (laughs) but yes that is also why he has a giraffe on his face (laughs) Uh, okay that makes sense i think i missed the giraffe actually he he directly says it's like i got you know a weird tail got a giraffe on my face i got all my feet (laughs) of horses (laughs) i i saw i saw the the whale tail in his feet or horses i think i missed the giraffe there there was a lot going on visually but yeah The other question is, why are there a bunch of horses in the zoo? That's actually not a common zoo animal, but, yeah, that's fair. No! no. <laughs> that just raises even more questions. You should have you stepped on you should have stepped on, uh, on the zoo, then stepped on the, the Renaissance Fair and got a bunch of horses, you know? Like. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Fixed. <laughs> Where the fuck the horses come from? It's a fun climax. Uh, it definitely goes all in with the mutant thing. It's, you know, it, the, the whole kaiju thing is, is like, it, it was a little bit generic, but at the same time, like, I think that it was it was fun because of the way they leaned into the mutant part of it. And again, I, yes. I like that this movie in particular really leans into the mutant part, like that that's all the, the story is about, you know, it's like sequels, we can get into other storylines, we can get into, you know, Shredder and like whatever, you know, Brainiac or whatever that that guy you just told me about that I didn't know existed, but <laughs> but I, I like the fact that this movie really goes all in with okay, this is mutant mayhem, and we're gonna really lean into the mutant mayhem. Yes, I think it's fucking genius to see all the characters, all the all the different animals in there, and it's working as one, but it's it's also kind of separate, you know. It gives you something to build towards. What are they going to do in the sequels? I want to see a sequel. And it's just another thing that adds to, I want a sequel. And I hope there there are sequels to this. It was just an interesting choice and not in a bad way. And I think as far as genericness, like the fact that it's a giant kaiju ending is kind of generic, not as generic as if they had a giant sky beam, but... Uh, the fact that it's a kaiju is generic, but the specific design of kaiju superfly is bizarre and memorable enough that it still stands yeah. out. So they have greenlit a sequel, a 2D animated TV series for Paramount Plus, and a video game. Wow, that was fast. Oh, shit. All right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it kicked ass in box office. So. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. It was very popular. That was like, it was, it was a very, it was a very well liked movie. Um, it did pretty well. Like it wasn't like a smack. Like I think I think it it did really well given its budget, and it, it was it was very it was very well liked. And I think I think they know they can definitely you know profit on it if if they make it a franchise for sure. I don't know if uh, Seth Rogen will stick with it on all these different projects coming up because that'll take up a lot of his time. I, he'll probably because he he kind of started the franchise. Even if he doesn't write it, he'll probably his name will probably be attached as a producer, hmm. and he'll I'd probably trust him with it, and he'll probably. Probably continue to voice uh, Bebop if nothing else. I bet. I bet he pr- he keeps producing and then and then voices the character. He might not. He yeah. may or may not write. He might end up still writing them. Who knows? But yeah, I love the Bebop and Rocksteady that they did in this movie. It's very different from any of the Bebop and Rocksteady we've seen in the comic books and in and in the movies. Yeah, and I, I thought that it was really well done. Yeah, I love. They still come as a t- as kind of a 
you know, package duo. Yes. They're still argumentative and combative, but also they recognize that they're argumentative and combative. It's like, oh, maybe my yes. anger is a problem. You know, maybe you're the reason I'm angry all the time. <laughs> yes. I love what Superfly is saying that he raised all the other mutants. So you just hear, you just hear Bebop say like, Hey, you did a great job! We're very well adjusted! (laughs) Yes! But I, and I, I touched on it already, but I, I do love the third act turn where it seems like the humans are going to reject the turtles. I actually thought they were going to double down on that, but I like the fact that they flipped that around. And that's really April's role in the climax is to win the populace over to the turtles, which does end up actually being important because the humans do end up helping to defeat the uh, the, the Superfly as well. So In all of these uh, superhero flicks, anytime you have like just the civilian populace come in and you know help save the day I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for that always it's one of the things I love in, in a lot of the Spider-Man movies and stories because Sp- Spider-Man really because Spider-Man is all about ordinary people being heroes that's that's basically what Peter Parker Miles Morales are, are, are meant to be is just the, the normal the, the normal everyday guy becoming a hero and, and they they in, in those stories, they tend to double down on that by also just having the general populace aid Spider-Man in, in, in defeating the villains a lot of times. But yeah, they and they do that in this movie also very effectively. You know, it, it definitely reminded me of that, like, you know, the scene in Spider-Man 1 where the people are throwing all the, the garbage at Green Goblin or Spider-Man 2 when they're saving, when they're, they're carrying him onto the train or I mean, Spider-Man with all the cranes lining up and everything. You know, it's, it's it, I, I, I agree with you. I I love scenes like that. All right, Zach, why don't you go into your overall thoughts and your score of 1 out of 10? As we mentioned, there's no secret that this movie is the best of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, hands down. I love that the turtles themselves are teenagers. They are very young. They're distinct. They are slightly silly. Maybe even you cringe a little at times. But when you're a teen, you act kind of cringeworthy. And it's very consistent and still very endearing. I appreciate that even though they do all function as one kind of singular protagonist, they all have the same overarching storyline together. There's still very distinct as individuals, even though they're all functioning as this unit together. Um, I love the small but indistinct changes to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mythos that really makes this movie work consistently in and of itself. If I have to give a complaint for this movie, it is that some of the villains, particularly the Utrum Corporation, are a little broad, but the main antagonist, Superfly, is a fantastic mirror, um, especially to Splinter. And this movie's style is eclectic and bizarre, and they really leaned into the fact that, yes, this is all kind of weird and gross, and that's also important and fantastic. I'm a really big fan of this movie, and I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I think the movie's really good. I think that the the turtles are absolutely, appropriately, the, the, the stars of the movie. Like, I think they are the... Not only is the movie obviously about them, but I think that they're the heart... They're the emotional heart of this movie. I think that they did such a good job with these characters, and I love that they're voiced by real teenagers, and that they have great chemistry with each other. And that this is probably, you know, this is definitely my favorite uh, team. MNT movie. It's probably my favorite incarnation of this particular franchise. I, I think Splinter seals a lot of the movie. I do think there's a bit too many mutants. I, I, I honestly do think that, but I do still think that they're entertaining and bring some comic relief uh, to the film. I like April O'Neil and what they did with her. I thought I think Superfly is an interesting villain. Not the biggest fan of the first like five minutes of the movie, but at the same time they just had to get past that to get to the Turtles, which is absolutely the really strong part of the movie so i will i will go uh eight out of ten i think that this is a really good beginning to a franchise that they can really build off of and hopefully make movies that are even better or at least as good for the first time i'm i'm excited for the future of of the tmnt movie franchise so a strong strong eight out of ten for me i really enjoyed it uh the only complaint that i really had about the movie was where did those fucking horses come from (laughs) 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 And I guess I just missed the zoo. I wouldn't have picked it up from the zoo either, but 
if that's the worst thing you got to say about a movie, then it's doing pretty good, in my opinion. I think that they did a really good job at twisting things. I think they did a really good job at giving everything a new spin and kind of polishing it all, because this movie is definitely polished. Knowing now that they've greenlit a show and that they also have greenlit a sequel and a video game, I'm wondering... TCRI is usually a company ran by Krang and the other Utrams, and uh, Shredder ends up working for them in some some fashion or another. So I'm wondering if we're going to see that play out, if they're going to go the alien route, or if they're going to stay on Earth for this one. Because a lot of a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles do does kind of get out into space and and other dimensions. So I'm very curious and excited to see where this goes. To be honest, I don't care which way they go because they did such a great job at renewing this, you know, and and taking us on this fun ride. It's a great opener, and I do look forward to seeing more. The art style in this movie is is refreshing. It's fun. Uh, I like that it's 2D, but it feels 3D. You know, it feels like a living comic book. The voice and the chemistry of all these characters coming together, it's just polished and well executed through and through. And I have to give it a 10 out of 10. Nice. Well, I know we're in October, and actually, even though this isn't necessarily like a a specifically Halloween movie, I do think this is a good October movie. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. And I I know that we're we're eager to get into some horror stuff, but I also know that uh, just last Tuesday, the the season finale of Ahsoka just aired. And I I know we're probably eager to kind of get into that, too. So you guys want to maybe uh, review that next week? Go ahead and, and, and do Ahsoka next time. I am down. I do. Yeah, I do definitely want to talk about the Ahsoka. Yeah, and I think at the week after that we'll definitely get into something something Halloweeny. Mm. Yes, yes. We'll see, we'll see what that be. But yeah, no, I mean I, I was happy to talk about this one. I think is I think it is a really really fun movie. I think is this this to me is one of the big uh, pleasant surprises of the year as far as movies go. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I wasn't super I didn't have a lot of if very high hopes for it. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting trend. Then I saw it and I'm like, wow, that actually was fantastic. Well, stay fresh cheese bags. Go eat some pizza. I did make the turtles <laughs> proud because when I was re-watching it just now, I was eating Hot Pockets while I was watching it. It's like, I feel like the turtles would approve of that. As, so. as Master Splendor intended. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you could have anything, but it has to be pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd Shit is edited by the three of us, as well as Sharon D. Wilson. Our music is composed by Sam Wilson. Hey, that's me. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Nerd shit pod that's facebook instagram tiktok and x all at the nerd shit pod make sure that you're subscribed to nerd shit anywhere you listen to your podcasts don't forget to leave us a review and a star rating and tell all your friends about us like a nice cult spread us around like herpes nerd shit nerd shit so strap on in because we're talking about the nerd shit stay shitty nerds